You're listening to The Main Course, where food is serious business. Listen along for insights, strategies, forecasts, and thought leadership from the front lines of food with your host, Barbara Castiglia. Welcome to The Main Course. I'm Barbara Castiglia of Modern Restaurant Management. Today we're going to be talking about a term, gastronomic ecosystem. Just teasing you a little bit. Actually, we're going to talk to the founder and CEO of a, a really unique food and culture market in Prague called the Manifesto Market. So with me today is Martin Barry, who's the founder and CEO of Manifesto, and he's also the founder and chairman of another venture called Recite. So welcome, Martin. And just, you know, tell us a little bit about your background and, you know, and start with Recite, what that is, and then how you got into Manifesto. Yeah, sure. Thanks so much, Barbara, for having me. It's, it's really a pleasure to connect. And, and thanks also to the audience. I hope you guys enjoy um, what's to come. So yeah, a little, I'm, I'm kind of a strange, strange animal. I'm, I'm from New York City. I, I currently live in Prague in the center of Europe. And my background is in, in landscape architecture, actually. So I spent like 10 years uh, designing really large scale kind of urban landscapes and urban gardens um, for real estate developers in cities for yeah almost the better part of 10 years in something like 14 countries. So um, I, I then found myself in Prague and I founded a nonprofit called Recite, which, which you mentioned. And that's about kind of talking about how do you make a more sustainable city? How do you make a better place to live in cities? And we focus on things like um, green energy and public space and alternative transportation, and then just making a better place uh, for a better lifestyle in the city. So that's mostly events and media. And that's been going on for about eight years. So how did you make that kind of transfer from, you know, a concentration in landscape architecture to what you're doing today? Yeah, good question. Um, I, I always saw myself as like loving to create a good place. And so even as a landscape architect, I always kind of approach it from a placemaking perspective. How do you make a place where people feel comfortable, where lots of different people can feel, you know, different and and, and safe in a, in a public space? Um, so my transition to Manifesto, I kind of looked at it through that lens. I still look at it through that lens. Like, how do we make a good place to bring people together? And we're using, of course, lots of, you know, aspects of my of my career, my, my skill set in design and architecture. But... Also, we're using food and culture as the media to bring people together. So um, it's sort of a tangent from what I've been doing uh, for the last 10 years or so. So, um, you know, explain a little bit about the Manifesto Market concept and when it originated. Yeah, sure. The idea originated, um, I'd say sometime around 2017, uh, while I was running my, my nonprofit in, in Prague. And... You know, it was a really simple like story. I spent a lot, a lot of years developing places and, and designing places that were built, and I loved that. And then when I would worked, decided to leave architecture and work full-time on my nonprofit, we were a media and events organization. Like, we have a podcast now that's called Design in the City, uh, which you can listen to on, on Spotify or something. And so that, that kind of like first two years just working on the nonprofit events and media, I thought like, man, I really miss creating places. Um, and so just, you know, looked around in Prague and looked around in other cities to see what I thought was missing. And I thought like a place with really good food, really good culture designed in a, in a really special way 
could be quite a unique kind of offer. And so the idea kind of sprung from that in mid-2017, and a year later, we opened our first location. So it, I'd say it kind of coincidentally happened, but um, kind of a lot of thought went into what makes a great place, what kind of food is required to kind of um, you know, make a good offer for people and make it exciting. So I guess kind of if you can tell me a little bit more about what's unique about the concept and, you know, if, I, if I'm going there, um, you know, what, is, what kind of experience do you hope that I would receive? Yeah, sure. I mean, we, we talk about food and culture a lot, and, and that's because, you know, in the pre-pandemic days, we, we do a lot of events. So I think one of the unique aspects of what we do is it's not just a, kind of a food market or kind of a classical food hall. In 2019, we, we hosted 260 events, uh, all for free. And you could come and, you know, check out a film or a DJ or a live musician or take an art class you know, or gastronomy tasting or wine tasting, you can do that for free without, you know, even buying some fries. Um, so I think that's a pretty unique aspect of what we do. And I think it kind of draws back on our experience as event organizers as well. We love kind of putting things together that are exciting the customer, exciting people. So it's a big aspect of, of what we do in, in the past and also will be in the future. In fact, even in 2020, we had something like 100 cultural events, film and music primarily, and some workshops. Um, so we'll always do that. In fact, just, just this week, we're, we did a survey in the office of what kind of events we want to kind of pursue this year. Um, so that's one thing I think the cultural aspect is pretty strong for us. Um, a typical experience is, um, is I hope, uh, exciting for people because they come for, for that culture, but they also come to get like at our first location, there's 19 different um, food and beverage operators. Um, and so you can come and get anything from like Belgian fries to uh, Pan-Asian dumplings um, to like a Philly cheesesteak even in our markets now in Prague. So we kind of, what we're also doing a little bit differently is we try to kind of mix the concepts. So we have actually one Michelin rated chef in our market who's doing a more kind of Italian street food concept. So we're bringing kind of elevated chefs and, and let's say fine dining to the general public. We've got a lot of chefs like that who are kind of, they have an existing restaurant, but it's more like white tablecloth, full service. Um, and in Manifesto, they're doing, they're bringing really high quality food, but a diff different price point. So they're making it more accessible to more people. And I say that's kind of a hallmark of what we try to do. While we also open up the doors to first-time restaurateurs and entrepreneurs. So we have, let's say, 20, 25% of our concepts are always kind of um, newly started. And they're starting something new from a new career or, um, or they're coming out like from a, from a kitchen and starting their own, their own kitchen. So it's a big part, I think, of, of what we like to offer. So who do you feel is your competition? Well, you know, we've only been, we're still the new kid on the block. We've only been around for two years. Uh, we opened our first location in June of 2018. Our second location we opened in June 2000, uh, July 2019. And we're opening our third, I hope, in June this year. So we're kind of at one a year so far. And so we've had really good traction. We've had uh, about 1.9 million customers to date. We're expecting over a million customers in each of our locations this year. Um, but at the same time, you know, we're still, again, we're still in, in Prague. We, we don't have 
um, it's hard to say exactly what the competition is. There's not much competition here, uh, to be sure. But if I looked at concepts that I respect a lot, um, I'd say like Italy is up there because of the way they've been able to kind of scale their operations and their, their, uh, their SOPs. Um, I think that, that that's something that we, we, you know, we'd love to achieve someday. I think there's, there's other concepts like, of course, timeout market is, is the big one um, that's done really well in, in Lisbon uh, and also decided to scale to the U.S. I don't know exactly how it's going in the U.S. for them, but I would say they, they did a great job in, in Lisbon. Um, I love going to timeout market. Um, and there's some beautiful examples like in Madrid, Mercado San Miguel, which is partially fresh food and partially cooked food. Or prepared food. Um, I think that's a. It's not really competition, but I'd say it's it's definitely a precedent that that um, that we respect a lot. So, what was it about Prague that made it a good choice for Manifesto? I think the food and beverage scene was changing. You know, since certainly since the first time I ever came here in 2012, when it was pretty dire, I'd say. Um, but then when I moved here in 2015, full time, let's say the end of the year. I saw that there was some kind of like, you know, there was some action happening. There was younger restaurants opening or let's say younger restaurateurs opening new places that they had experienced when they traveled, probably they were inspired by. And so the scene was changing a lot in 2016. Um, and so, but what I saw was that there was, you know, these are mostly smaller operations, not much ability to scale. And there wasn't kind of a central place, like a market where you could come and sort of experience this kind of roughness that we love about markets, um, roughness with kind of refined edge. And so I think that's kind of what was missing in Europe in general, that, that this, the idea of the, the, the food hall or food market is centuries old. Um, but the mixing this kind of with a higher level experience on the cultural experience side and also on the design side with this roughness of, of what, like I said, what we love about, about markets that was missing. And so I think manifesto kind of does that. That's what we try to do. Well, is we, we sort of sit in between this, this chaos of the food, food market with this more refined kind of edge in the customer experience and also in the, in the design of these places. So I think that's something we'll like to expand. So why did you choose the name manifesto? Um, yeah, that's a little more complicated. But I think, you know, if, if I want to kind of be comprehensive about this, I think there's basically we wanted something that embodied how we felt about the city and, and how we felt about kind of our role. If we're a mission-driven organization, a mission-driven company, like what's our role in the city? Well, we thought it was, was to try to find kind of forgotten and unkept places and make them alive, you know, bring life to them and make them really memorable customer experiences and so we wanted to utilize design and food related experiences and cultural events to attract people to these kind of forgotten places so this was kind of the manifesto we also wanted it to be a statement let's say about the potential and, and spatial value that we wanted to see around us so we think of like you know to summarize that maybe in simple words it's like you know we think of creativity innovation uh, community, maybe even collaboration, which could be a way to kind of activate the public and, and awaken the potential of a place. That's like, let's say, the, the deep mission statement of this. On a very, like, the next level, which is a little more simple, 
you know, we, we had a couple of brands that we throw around. And by the way, we love creating brands. It's uh, something I think we, we cherish. Um, and so we had a bunch of names that we were kind of tossing around and, and what might work. And, and they, we, they all had to kind of meet the simple criteria. One was, is it universal? Because we knew before we opened, we wanted this to scale to many different cities. And so we needed a name that could be kind of, you know, universal from Asia to, to the U.S. And, and Europe. Uh, we also wanted something that fit kind of easily in this very simple sentence. And when we landed on this word manifesto, we knew it was it. And the, the, the test was, hey, meet me at, you know, dot, 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 meet me at the location. So we said like, hey, meet me at manifesto. It just sort of rung and it sort of fit perfectly with what we wanted to do. So meet me at manifesto became, I think, the, the push over the edge for, for choosing this this name. So I teased a little bit before about the gastronomic ecosystem, um, but what does that mean to you and how does it relate to Manifesto? The gastronomic ecosystem for us is, it's bringing like diverse flavors of the world together and empowering chefs and restaurateurs to basically have all the tools um, to make that, to, to deliver food simply uh, to customers. And so what we try to do, like at least in our gastronomic e- ecosystem, is to create an environment which is simple for the chefs to operate in, um, where all they have to do is focus on making great food and serving the customers. And we take care of the rest. So we try to make the, their life simple with the admin and operations and and um, and the kind of running of the market hall that's all done by us. We try to utilize technology to kind of um, to, to simplify that experience. Um, and we are also trying to bring this ecosystem online. So we, we want our customers, you know, from the very beginning in 2018, we wanted our customers to experience Manifesto at home the same way they would experience it in the market. So what does that mean? It means like, you know, if you, you want a burger, but your your partner wants some sushi or some Japanese, and your kids might want some pizza. You know, the, the food hall and the food market is a great place to do to go because everyone kind of gets what they want. Everyone hangs out, has a nice time. Um, we want that to happen at home too, and so our ecosystem is able to kind of pull these restaurants together, um, and we can you know if you're at home, you can have the same kind of culinary experience that you might have in the market. Of course, it comes without the design and and, um, and the experience of, of dining in a, in a food hall. Um, but you do get the culinary options that, that you might get uh, in the market. That's important for us. So I, I think the, the ecosystem for us is, is customer driven. Um, it's, it's experience related. And it's about kind of finding a, a a nice balance between the different cuisines that we might offer, which requires a huge amount of curation and organization. Um, but if it's done properly, I think the customer really appreciates that. And then the chefs can really appreciate that because they can focus on making, you know, a relatively, let's say, refined and edited menu um, that hopefully the customers will love. So can you give some examples of how you're using technology and creating, you know, a digital place for Manifesto? Uh, yeah, sure, sure. Um, and I should say, like, again, this is a, 
a two-year-old enterprise. So not like most two-year-olds, um, gastronomic businesses, this is still a work in progress. And so we're working on everything and trying to refine it as we go. Um, a lot of this stuff is bootstrapped, so we're still building it uh, in terms of the technology or, or the processes. But we're doing like, you know, to manage a multi, multi-restaurant location um, and do it kind of well and efficiently, it's it's quite tough. You've got like you know twenty five restaurants or so in one location. Let's say let's say ten twenty thousand square feet, and everyone's got certain needs and and um, even different kind of billing and, and and rent payments and things like that. So it requires kind of a high level of um, automation for simple things like the admin and the billing. So that's something that we're we're working on to to simplify for for all of our tenants. Um, so that we have like a kind of a technology which has a back end. It looks a little bit like Airbnb. So, you know, a tenant basically can log in, see what their, their invoicing is like, and the rent was like last month, just pay it with one click of a button or even automate that. Um, and they can also keep track of supplies and things like that that they might have ordered or per, that we've procured for them because um, we do a lot of that for, for our tenants. Um, there's things like smart metering, like taking, you know, making sure that everyone has access to the to the, the the meters and to their energy usage, because, you know, lots of restaurateurs and chefs will tell you that you know so much money is wasted by their staff that kind of doesn't turn off the lights or keeps the water running too long or the ovens on for you know longer than it needs to be. So I think like we can estimate pretty pretty closely how much energy use a certain restaurant type will should use. Um, and we can kind of the, the restaurant can, can be posted or, or be aware of that on a, on a monthly basis pretty easily on, on a dashboard so that's something that we're implementing um we use you know also with multi-tenants uh, multiple tenants in the same location they have lots of different needs and questions all the time so like you know can i add you know extra sauce to my fries or is it going to compete with somebody else can i add you know a burger even though there's a burger concept here so there's tons of communication that goes on when you're really actively managing these places and so we have a communication platform which is where we can not only communicate directly with the tenants so we have it all in one place uh, but we also have like the let's say the, the property management stuff that that uh, gets communicated there so a tenant notices that like you know their lock is broken they they just submit a ticket so that we can go fix it. Um, if they see that maybe something's broken in the staff bathroom, they submit a ticket, you know, hopefully it's fixed within a couple hours. So that kind of thing is is what we're using and building uh, to manage manage the markets and, and again, to kind of make it easier for the tenants to, um, to operate their businesses. Well, one of the things that you had uh, written was that, you know, one facet of the market's vision was to serve as an efficient springboard for independent businesses. So in a way, you know, the tech that you're talking about, um, you know, uh, enables these restaurateurs to, you know, focus on what they're good at, on being innovative. Um, but why did you, why was that a choice of yours to kind of go after independent businesses and, um, and, you know, and focus on, on, you know, innovative chefs and all of that. Why, why did you feel that would bring a lot to Manifesto? Yeah. Maybe one more point on the technology side that I forgot is, is like, uh, I should mention that the Manifesto is fully cashless. So we don't accept any other payments other than credit cards or some kind of digital payments. Um, and we're working on offering crypto, uh, crypto payments this year. 
And what that means is that we have a high level of data on every transaction. So we know, of course, like transparently and and, um, and in compliance with the EU and, and US regulation, but like we, we can understand kind of generically what the customer likes in the market. And so then we can kind of give feedback to our tenants right away. So it's not very common for restaurants to have a data scientist on board, but we do. Um, so, you know, we basically can dig into a transaction or multiple transactions and we don't know really too much about the customer, but we know maybe they have some patterns. And so we can kind of, we can tell maybe that the French fries are working well with another concept. And so maybe we should, uh, kind of encourage a collaboration with those two restaurants. And we do that often, you know, in fact, almost every day. So we're constantly kind of tweaking the menus and helping the, the, the restaurant tours. Uh, hopefully improve their business. And, and that was particularly important in 2020 when the pandemic came because, in fact, before that, we started even tweaking some menus and pricing and things like that. And those changes that we made, which are all data-driven, um, they helped the tenants improve their revenues in some cases in 2020, even though transactions were down like 30%. So those kind of changes, you know, it's not just for fun. They, they really kind of helped improve the businesses. And... Uh, and the second part of this is delivery. Um, so we've we've always kind of wanted to build a strong delivery game and kind of optimize the menus for uh, delivering to home or office. That started even in 2019. So when 2020 came, we kind of were, you know we were, we had to retool things a little bit, but the whole idea was what I mentioned before: offer the customer the same exact experience, uh, culinary experience that they have in the market, and get that to them at home. So people can order from multiple restaurants and one delivery courier will show up, you know, and, and, and bring it in one bag rather than having to order compromise. You know, if, if the kids want pizza, everyone gets pizza usually, or if someone wants uh, Chinese food, then everyone gets Chinese food. Um, not the case with Manifesto. You can order from 20 restaurants and everyone gets what they want in the same bag. So that's, uh, that, that doesn't really sound like technology, but there's a lot of tech that goes into making that happen. Um, and making that happen seamlessly so that when you have hundreds of orders per hour, you can kind of deliver it without too many errors. I say too many errors because everyone knows that there's lots of errors in, <laughs> in, in that part of the business. Um, in terms of like, why did I want to work with independent restaurants? Well, um, I feel like, you know, the independent restaurant has a tough go, like has a tough time starting a, a restaurant. I think like all of us know, even all of us, if we're not in the gastro industry, we know somebody that wants to start a cafe or a bar or a burger joint and um, you know, starting one and making one work are two completely different things. You know, um, first of all, starting, it's very expensive. Uh, the cost of the fit outs uh, or the, you know, the, the capital required to actually build the restaurant super high. Um, uh, it's, it's also a huge commitment. So most landlords would ask you for, no minimum five-year lease, but most likely like in a major city, you're getting a 10-year lease or more. So not only are you going to pay millions of dollars to open the door in Manhattan, you're going to pay, you know, $30,000 a month for 10 years. Um, and that's what you're signing up for. It's like, yeah, no thanks, you know. <laughs> um, so I think a lot of small restaurants, they, they'd love to, to be in a prime location, but they, you know, they, they can't afford it. And, you know, they can't imagine how long it might take to get there. The average... You know, it really depends on what kind of restaurant you look at, but like, you know, most restaurants are operating somewhere between like three and 7% profit margin, probably. Um, some fast casual and fast food would be higher, but 
but let's say the kind of average uh, full service restaurant is somewhere between three and seven percent um, profit margin, and that's after they break even. So if they make it to like three years, then their their margin is like you know going to be about five percent. I think that sucks. You know, like it, it's it's tough to to convince people to start restaurants when that's the situation, and it, I think it's been getting worse um, before the pandemic. So, which is why you saw, like, you know, I think everyone was a little bit surprised, not those of us in the business, but the people outside the business, that when COVID came, no one understood why, you know, there was no cash reserves in, in a lot of these companies, even the big guys, like the, you know, many dozens of restaurants, um, you know, like the, the Danny Myers of the world. There's not really a lot of cash reserve for many of the places because the margins are so small and the rents are really high. So our whole kind of business is built around like, how do we make it easier for those people, those ladies and, and men that want to open um, their own restaurants? And so we see this as almost like a, um, you know, an incubator. Um, and if it's not just for, you know, opening a first time restaurant, it might be for like, you know, maybe 60% of our tenants who have existing restaurants, but they, they either want to expand and, you know, try a different market segment um, without the high cost of the new restaurant, or they want to to try something new. So they have their kind of white tablecloth, or you know, like I mentioned, like one of our guys has a Michelin-rated restaurant. He wants to try something new and 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 get in front of customers more. So they, you know, he has the, the kind of Italian fried fish concept with us, or you know, we have a high-end catering brand who also has a Michelin restaurant. And they, um, they just, again, they want to kind of like uh, reach new customers, first of all, but also just get in front of them, which they don't really do as often and as informally as they can do in their own restaurants. So I think there's lots of reasons why we, you know, why we picked kind of these types of businesses to come into Manifesto. And I think the last one is about the customer. Um, customer experience is paramount for us. And... I really believe that customers, they want something different and they're looking for an experience led um, dining. And so what that means is they kind of, you know, they want to get to know new types of food. They want to get to know uh, new types of, you know, new, new types of business owners. And I really believe people want to um, connect with that and they connect more so with it when it's not a chain or, or um, a classical you know, quick service restaurant. Which, by the way, I have no problem with. It's it's just not the direction we've gone for you know for the people that come into Manifesto. So you mentioned the pandemic uh, uh, a little bit, but can you detail a little bit more um, about the how the pandemic affected Manifesto? Um, and you know, you talked about you know the you know the uh, more of the pivot to off premise and the bundled delivery. Um, but if you can kind of detail that a little bit more. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, it's like hard to talk about this. It's like, this is so devastating. Um, but it's important to, to, to talk about. Uh, yeah, listen, like when we entered 2020, um, we came off a strong year in 2019. But remember, like we had only been open like about 14 months prior to that. Um, so we came into 2020 like, okay, this is going to be the year we can kind of like get above the water and really kind of like uh, really make it because we kind of figured stuff out and we started to internalize a lot of the operations that were previously outsourced. So when COVID, and by the way, we were seasonal at that time. So we were only opening from 
the middle of March, and we stayed, we usually stayed open until the end of the year. And then we closed down for two months and then open again in March. So that's changed, first of all. Now we're, we're, um, we're always open like uh, throughout the entire year. And so when you're like in March of 2020 and like when everyone started to be affected by this, it was like, um, I think March 13th when the country was kind of like locked down here in Czech Republic and in many countries around us. It was devastating because we were like, oh man, like we, like we were kind of running out of money and we had to deal with this. So we did what many people did. We like very quickly, we made some super tough decisions. Like I, I cut my salary to, to nothing for, you know, a full quarter and actually um, had to do it again later in the year. Um, my wife works in the business. She did the same thing. So basically we had no income for half the year. Um, and we had to cut most of the like the management team's salaries by at least fifty percent, and we had to let some people go, which 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 hurts. We we didn't do a lot of that, frankly. We 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 put some people on furlough and we tried to repay them throughout the year. Um, so we, you know, like a lot of people, we made super hard decisions that, that hurt and were painful. Um, and as a first time, let's say I've been running my own kind of things for a few years now, but this is, you know, definitely the biggest team I've, I've ever had. And so it was hard to do. It was really hard, uh, painful decisions. But what it did is allowed us to conserve some cash. Um, and very quickly, like within three days, I think, of the, of the restaurants being shut down, we reopened for, uh, for delivery only and takeaway, which is... Um, so our off-premise business started slow, but we felt like, you know, I remember giving a speech in, in the market to all of our tenants and our staff, like it's two days or three days after the lockdown, they said, listen, like we're going to be out of business for five days, but we're going to be back online and we're going to be, because we have all these great restaurants here and we can put all your food in one bag and serve it to the customer at home or the office, you know, we're going to outcompete the market. So. You know, we want everyone to come back to, to work next week. And you know, when we're ready with this technology and we've negotiated the delivery deals, we want everybody on. And so we came back to work the next week and we had four out of 15 tenants. <laughs> and I was like, oh man, like, you know, this is not exactly what I had in mind. You know, we're supposed to be offering hundreds of meals to people and most of our tenants are giving up. And so we gave them really sweet deals. We basically cut the rent. We, we, we basically tore up the leases and we said like, we're only going to charge percentage based based on the, the delivery. And so we'll take huge risks on the operations and the, the utilities and things, which are quite expensive for a big establishment like ours. Um, and so slowly, like I think the first week we had four, four of the restaurants open. The second week we had five. Then by like the fourth week we had about six or seven. And they all, of course, they're all talking to each other. So by like the fifth or sixth week of lockdown, everyone was on operation for the most part. Um, and we were at that point, I think the top uh, restaurant concept on the delivery platforms is uh, on Uber Eats, um, just behind McDonald's. So, and on some days we passed McDonald's in the country. So, you know, the small startup was now like kind of like competing with the giants, um, the delivery platforms. And that, those decisions we made kept our tenants in business. So all of the restaurants basically um, uh, made it through that period. Uh, they all made it through the summer, which was quite strong for us. And they're all operating now. We lost, I think, one tenant or two tenants. Um, but that was like mutual decision that, that 
they wanted to do something else and have their own place or whatever. So we lost no one because the business was bad. Um, and I think those decisions we made with, um, with delivery and offering this bundled marketplace solution, it really helped because it helped us out compete the other restaurants in town. And the more <laughs> challenging side is, I don't know, it's, it's been similar in some cities in the U.S., but I think you guys are kind of on the road to uh, much faster to recovery now. You know, we've been, last year we were open for business, like a customer could come into the market um, four and a half months in 2020. <laughs> um, four and a half months you could actually walk in and get something in the market. The rest of the months we were um, uh, on delivery only or, or takeaway from the windows. And we've been basically closed since October 1st. It's, it's now, uh, it's, I'm sort of losing track of the months now. It's almost March. <laughs> yeah, it's February 17th. So we've been closed since October, basically. We are open for four days in December, then shut down again. And we've been surviving just with this delivery business, which is basically we've turned into a massive ghost kitchen. Um, and we've actually launched many ghost concepts throughout the year that will, that will still exist um, into the future. Uh, they'll be online and virtual only. Um, but it's been a tough business. Um, we also own the bars. In, in our markets so we operate five bars and um, that's completely virtual now since October so we launched the RTD business ready during cocktails um, we launched it I think around yeah October November well we actually launched it earlier but it was more of a pilot over the summer and come December it was actually a strong business for us so we, we sold we, we actually beat most of our sales targets for December with RTD drinks. And um, we've been beating our targets now in February again with a new line of cocktails we just launched. So all of this has pushed us to innovate in ways that we, we maybe accelerated because of COVID. I think that's a story for a lot of, um, a lot of owners. Uh, and it's pushed us to make super tough decisions that, that I think hopefully will benefit the business in the future. Do you feel in some regard that the pandemic was a, a proving ground for the concept? Yeah, that's a good way to put it, I think. Um, I think like, you know, it was, I wouldn't say it was easy, but like to launch a business in the good times of 2018, 2019, you know, it sounds like too good to be true. Um, whereas like we made a lot of mistakes and which we couldn't make now. We couldn't afford to make those mistakes now. So... Well, I think what the pandemic did was force us to internalize uh, basically 100% of the business. You know, everything we could do ourselves, we do. We don't have many, many kind of suppliers anymore, um, which wasn't the case before. Before, I wanted to be kind of like a, let's say, a brand builder and concept developer. But, you know, we wanted to leave the dirty work to uh, like third-party operators. No more. Like early 2020, we canceled a lot of contracts and we said we're going to do everything ourselves. And so that, that's been a huge decision that, that impacted, that helped us a lot. Um, not only did it improve like uh, profitability and improve our, um, the economics, but um, we love that part of the business now where we spend you know, most of our time talking about operations and, and sales and things like that, which, which, um, which, yeah, we all love a lot. So it proves, 2020 allowed us to test uh, those things um, that were quite new to us and build a team that was kind of strong on operations where we weren't strong before. 
and it forced us to really look in look at our costs and optimize them so um it also kind of encouraged us to, to accelerate this food delivery platform that i talked about you know in the beginning of 2020 i thought we would raise uh, some external capital to build the technology and build the aggregator for for these kind of multiple restaurant orders going into one bag well i thought we'd raise some capital maybe by the middle of the year we'd be ready to kind of start building it and by the end of 2020 we'd be able to launch it well when the pandemic came it was like okay we've got four days like what can we do <laughs> And so we built it, we really bootstrapped it. Um, and we, we worked a lot with the third party delivery providers to, um, to get better rates and, you know, better services from them. And we were able to, to do it within five days, basically what I thought would take maybe a year to raise money and then build the system. And that was, that was definitely a proven ground of sorts because, you know, we had no other choice. So. I think that was a good decision because we also learned a lot about what we need in that platform. We will still uh, invest in, in optimizing it, but we we actually don't need to make the investments I thought we did. So we learned a lot in the process. So how do you think the pandemic has changed the nature of the guest experience? And how do you feel that will be moving forward as well? You know, we, we were fortunate that in our part of the world, like the pandemic wasn't really so, um, there weren't so many sick people in, in the spring. And so our business opened up in the middle of May, I think before a lot of businesses in the States opened, and even before a lot of things in, in Western Europe. And in May, we were like plus 30% year on year in sales from 2019. So we kind of bounced back very quickly and we had a really strong summer before it got really bad again by the, by the fall. And then like we were, we've been out of business, like I said, since October. But in that process, I think what we saw in May is that like, Customers are starving, <laughs> literally, to come back and, and be not just to taste the food, but they're starving for connection. Um, and so it was actually quite difficult for us to to manage the social distancing and things that, that we were um, that we had to do uh, by law. And so we had to kind of come up with innovative ways to kind of inform people about you know, keeping two meters distance or six feet, staying six feet apart. Um, we did all the things, of course, that everyone was doing with sanitizer and stuff. But I think what it taught us is that um, it's going to be really hard to keep the customers away. And I think that's a good sign for, for those of us that, that are going to make it through this. Um, and I say that with like a ton of humility because I know a lot of, a lot of companies won't make it through or haven't already. Um, but those that are fortunate enough to, to make it through, like keep your head up because I, I really believe there's a ton of growth uh, ahead of us and like a ton of good experiences in the hospitality industry in the next couple of years because people are starving for that experience and that face-to-face -face connection that a meal in a restaurant kind of offers you. Um, that's what we're excited by. I think that's what many of our, our team is excited by. Um, I, I think that the customer is expecting probably you know, I, I can look at this in many different ways. Like either the customers like has been home eating out of a paper box or, or cooking for themselves for the last nine to 12 months. And they don't really care what they're served. They just want to come out and have a good time. Um, but I think what they're going to, to look for is a heightened experience. Um, and this kind of experience led experience driven dining, I think will kind of excel in, in the post pandemic environment because 
because of that connection that people are seeking. They're not just seeking a burger, a freshly made burger. They're 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 seeking the connection that that burger provides. Um, and so I think the, the experience part of what we do, I think, will have to be done even better, frankly. And that's something we're we're kind of focused on and refining this year when we are finally able to open again. The customer also is going to experience, you know, I think now everyone, if you know, if they didn't order food before on a delivery app, probably everyone we know has has had the opportunity to do that, and they know that that the food's not always good. You know, it's it's you know the restaurant that that, that didn't really optimize their menu for delivery has probably noticed that like uh, it's tough to to sell that meal if it's not really delivery friendly. So. The customer expects their meal to be hot, to be kind of presented decently within the box, um, uh, to not be spilling everywhere when they open it. So, you know, customers, have, I think, especially now that they've seen the ways that different restaurants can prepare food to go or food uh, for delivery, they're expecting more of that process. So that's another thing that we're focusing on. We've got a lot of KPIs this year to, um, to improve the way we, uh, our tenants and also we prepare the food for people. So, um, What's your outlook for the market locations in 2021? And then, you know, where do you see the markets going? Where, you know, where are you excited about expanding the concept? I, like I said before, like, you know, I remember I was an architect in 2008, you know, through the 2008 to 2011 recession. And um, I was on the front lines of, of that recession because architecture and real estate was hit so hard. But then, you know, 2011, basically to 2020, was like, there's a huge amount of growth in, in that sector, like in real estate and architecture. And I think restaurants were the same. They were impacted at the beginning part of 2008 recession, but proved to be pretty resilient and bounced back really strong after. And so it's been a tremendous like decade of growth from 2010 in the, in the restaurant industry. I expect the same um, in, in this recession. And I, and I expect the same because... You know, there's a lot of fear that like people won't come back to restaurants. I think that's nonsense. Like all you need to do is look at history, um, and not just recessions, but pandemics. Like the SARS epidemic in 2003 in Taiwan, Hong Kong is a good example. There's basically like two or three quarters of contraction in real estate and also in the gastronomy. Um, but then, you know, no one's looked back since then. Um, so I believe that that's going to be the same situation in, in the U.S. for sure and, and in Europe uh, hopefully soon after. So um, I'm excited by the year ahead. You know, I wish I was in the U.S. because you guys are doing way better than, than Europe in terms of vaccinations and, and reopenings, but it's going to come here as well. Um, I'm most excited. We are opening a new concept. We're opening a new market, I, I hope, in June. We're sort of waiting until, you know, we, we see what the situation looks like, but um, we're super excited for that. It's fully developed. Um, I have the permit in hand tomorrow, I think, and it will take us like six weeks to to open it, to build it and open it. So they'll have 15, uh, 15 tenants uh, in concepts, two bars, uh, seating for 600 plus people, and we expect that it'll be open by June. Um, and that's in Prague. The, the next location... Uh, we're working on i can't say specifically but it will be in belgium um uh, and we hope that it still moves forward but but that looks pretty positive uh, we're looking at a, a really nice location and by the way belgium's about thirty thousand square feet um we're looking very close to a, a deal in in hamburg which is again about thirty thousand square feet um 
and we just are, you know, I put all the other expansion on hold in 2020, except for those three projects. And early this year, like January, started to kind of like uh, warm up the the contacts again for, for the U.S. locations. And we're now talking about three locations in the U.S. that could open in 2022, 2023. So it's in California, L.A., San Francisco, and also in New York. would be great. <laughs> yeah, we're looking forward to it. So <laughs> it sounds crazy in this environment, but but actually what I really think is that you know, as I said, there's a huge opportunity, I think, for, for those of us that were kind of lucky or fortunate enough to get through the pandemic. And we also, like, I really do want to serve as this kind of incubator, especially for restaurants that want to restart. I don't think people are going to be jumping at the opportunity to get into long, long leases. Um, and on the other hand, you know, I think the real estate owners, they need concepts like us to, to kind of come in and help, like, uh, Kind of reawaken city center. So we're looking for lots of locations like this. Well, thank you so much. This has been great. 